Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everybody. It's your stuck-in-the-shadow-realm wizard, Holden McNeely. And it's I, your insane gazillionaire boy guy genius, but also, (laughs) like, money means nothing. I just really enjoy this card game, Bruiser Jake. (laughs) And uh, with us is our guest expert, number one. Please, Jake, it's Gexpert. We've been over this. We combined the two words. (laughs) Our special summon, our synchro dragon, our fusion special. That's a forbidden card and you know it. Oh, we're 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 gonna shit all over the band list. Karina Farek, how you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be Yu-Gi-Oh! expert. I have people yeah. willing to listen to me talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! And I'm always happy about that. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. Because I feel like such a fish out of water for this one. And I need this, I need you. I, the teacher becomes the student. I need you to lay the knowledge upon me. Uh, as much as I've been researching throughout this week, I, I didn't live it. it it's not in my veins. <laughs> And that's that's why we brought you in. Thank you so much again for coming. I've seen the fan Thank art. Thank you for having me. Anybody yeah. who can draw all of the belts that Seto Kaiba's outfit requires <laughs> definitely is an expert. <laughs> um, and really quick, too, this is actually a Patreon-sponsored episode. So shout-outs to Ryan Moreland. Thank him on Facebook if you are also happy, thrilled to be getting the Yu-Gi-Oh! episode. Uh, and here is the promotion that he wanted us to say. I am the host, not me, Holden, but Ryan is the host. Ryan is the host of a podcast called Fairly Functional. Funk like funk music. Fairly <laughs> Functional with Ryan Moreland. On it, me and my younger sister review movies, talk about some of our favorite nerdy and sometimes non-nerdy stuff, nonsense conversations and questions, and for some reason, we have a fascination with Matthew McConaughey, food, and Naruto. (laughs) SoundCloud.com forward slash fairly functional at podcast fairly at podcast fairly. Like fairy, but with an L. Again, that's Fairly Functional with Ryan Moreland. Sounds like a fun time. I'll give it a shot. All right, now let's get into it. Let's get into how do where do we begin, Jake? What is Yu-Gi-Oh? Tell me what Yu-Gi-Oh is. Well, t- Yu-Gi-Oh, I, we're finishing the holy trinity <laughs> of late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s Japanese collector animes that were then butchered in America, but nobody knew better because 
we weren't full on weebs yet. We were proto weebs. Uh, we covered Pokemon. We covered Digimon. But Yu-Gi-Oh was the dark horse. Yu-Gi-Oh was the the Dr. Pepper to Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, it is. I was, uh, I, and I was definitely a little uh, intimidated going into this. First of all, trading card games. Very complicated, right? Second of all, and and I think my favorite thing that I learned just to say this right off the bat, I was really happy to see that this did, wasn't a, from the beginning some crazy cash grab from kids. Mm-hmm. That like the manga was about gaming. The manga had not the, the trading card game sort of took over the manga naturally. That it came from an interesting story place, and I think maybe that's part of why it still holds true as, as a solid franchise. And it's not just like, we need to get toys in kids' hands, like maybe Thundercats, or which will come up today, by the way. <laughs> what really sets Yu-Gi-Oh! apart is that there is a darkness to it. Like, there is... Yes. Uh, we kind of talked about all the, like, adult, more adult themes in Digimon. Um, and in a way, it's a little bit more emotionally mature than Yu-Gi-Oh! Whatever, this isn't the time to discuss that. But you can tell right away from the monster designs, the fashion, the over-the-top personalities... Um, there's just, for the kid that was just a little more spooky-ooky, Yu-Gi-Oh! resonated way harder than just, like, you know, uh, Meryl? Meryl the Pokemon? Like, what, is just a blue orb? Who gives a shit? Slifer the Sky Fucker is just a gnashing, like, wall of teeth and claws. Uh, Karina, like, what was, what do you think uh, drew you to Yu-Gi-Oh? Like, what was your first experience? Honestly... I had a really bad first impression of Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> I, like, specifically remember this, because it was on Kids WB, and, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a wee child, I, I don't remember when exactly it came out. I was probably in, like, the fourth grade. I just happened to catch it one day, because it was probably, like, around the same time slot as Pokemon, and I was so confused by it. <laughs> it was the first episode. I was just like, Why? why is this and i just remember like going home um and telling my brother about it and being like yeah it was weird there was this guy with crazy hair and he like yelled in a dark room (laughs) and i don't get it but i i don't know something about it brought me back (laughs) and here we are (laughs) with a full you have a full statue of of the main character uh not statue but cardboard cutout <laughs> standing yeah that's a permanent fixture of my home he's staring at me he's frightening me dark yugi i believe is yeah his, yeah yes. i was but... afraid to say the wrong thing or else lest i be cursed Mm-mm. by dark yugi <laughs> but yeah i don't fully know what the appeal was necessarily to me other than it was just like really zany it's that zaniness that really um no 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 that's a good thing to catch on because the zaniness especially watching i watched uh whatever the new movie was called like dark dimensions of darkness yeah yeah dark side of dimensions a masterpiece <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> truly because it it distilled and highlit and just it's two straight hours of everything that made this show and manga so addictive, which is it's just not grounded in anything resembling reality. <laughs> it is balls to the wall, uh, just larger than life characters, life or death stakes, just all these just gigantic leaps of logic 
where, you know, <laughs> a child is battling an adult man who has like a machine gun pointed at his head in the middle of a robotic hologram room that has also closing walls in it for the fate of a soul of an Egyptian uh, dead pharaoh. <laughs> and the way this this conflict is expressed is through a children's card game. Yeah. yeah. Simple as that. What, what about it? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is like, there's weird, like edgy goth fashion everywhere. The the way that the sci-fi and Egyptian themes kind of just start slamming against each other with no rhyme or reason. It is visually confusing. It is <laughs> nonsensical to behold in, in isolation. <laughs> and most importantly, they play it so straight. They play it so down the middle. They have a little bit of fun in the dubs, like four kids really like kind of leans into it at a point. But the way you just hear Dan Green... Uh, the voice of Dark Yugi and regular Yugi, I guess. Yeah. You know, and that booming voice is being like, I play Pot of Greed. <laughs> and then just everyone in the room loses their fucking minds. <laughs> Pot of Greed, on the forbidden list, bro. So don't even well, get me started Well, it allows you to draw that. two cards from your, from your deck. It's, yeah, it's okay. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. I, I agree. It is, it is just what you said and more. And, uh, but it seems like they did a really good job of incorporating the tying the two things together like a rug in an apartment and one of my favorite things is that you can like go to the newest anime and watch episode one to find out how your card game is going to change this year which yeah. i think is kind of crazy <laughs> and that you can see the meta of uh, or or at least find out uh, oh they and and it even works its way into the plot i loved reading that the most recent uh edition which is the um are you talking about brains everybody's favorite anime brains they're like yeah the 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 main character's like i'm too stifled by this by this way they play this game i'm coming up with a new way to play the game oh no that's Yu-Gi-Oh! sevens it's so funny to see like even the main character is is essentially expressing the feelings of the player base yeah, I feel like at times <laughs> in the anime, which which then reflects into the card game, which I think is really cool. Karina, have you successfully played games of Yu-Gi-Oh! The card game before? Yes. In real life or in the many video games? Oh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you it's true. Really explore it in the video games. I mean, I, I'm a very casual Yu-Gi-Oh! player. I do know how to play up until a certain point. Mm-hmm. I've kind of lost track of it after it's like every trading card game ever yeah because they reformatted it pretty severely a couple of times and I, I get confused but i i do play dual links i used to play a lot more but i still play occasionally i've played many of the game boy and ds games and i have played a little in real life not i don't have my own deck but i have cards do you own the magic placemat no. <laughs> uh, I used to have a place map or a play map, but I don't anymore. Uh, the most I played in real life was my cousin got really into competitive when he was in high school, so I would play test his decks for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I tried to keep up. I tried to like learn as much as I could, but I just could not do it. Because the thing I ran into is every How to Play Yu-Gi-Oh! guide uh, that I found on YouTube was like, Yu-Gi-Oh! is actually way easier than like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon because there's no energy system. There's no mana. There's no lands. You just draw mm. your monster and then you can summon it. And now let's get to fusion monsters and synchro monsters and pendulum <laughs> monsters. Okay, and- but here's like, I personally 
think Yu-Gi-Oh is an easy enough game. I've never played Magic or Pokemon, so I can't really make the comparison, but I've been told it's similar. It's just Mm -hmm. that once you add the additional, you know, mechanics and then reformat the game a few times is when it kind of gets confusing. I mean, the card game has existed (laughs) in Japan since the late 90s, and it's still going strong today. And so that is just to show, of course, after three decades or whatever, two decades, no, three decades of of <laughs> getting there. Of this one <laughs> card game. Like, of course they're gonna layer on extra rules and extra yeah. rules and extra, you know, and, and to completely change it. And so of course it would become this much more convoluted thing like you see with magic. Is this the answer to the question? Is this game the perfect mix between a Pokemon and a magic? <laughs> You said that like such a dad. I know, right? Is that what a Yu-Gi-Oh is best at? Finding? (laughs) Well, we will answer that question and more in this episode. Let's get into it. Let's get into the full history of Yu-Gi-Oh and all of its many. I mean, I can't even. The amount of iterations is insane, but we're going to do our best to chip away at it. Hold on. Are you saying it's it's time to... Yes, yeah, it's time to do I had a stroke. That's what that was. <laughs> I was like, what scared me? Jake's scaring me today on the podcast, so that's the whole situation. Um, all right, so as we said essentially before, the synopsis of Yu-Gi-Oh! is it is a Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Kazuki Takahashi and serialized in Weekly Shonen Jump magazine. Of course, it's Weekly Shonen Jump, always, right? Uh, magazine from 1996 to 2004, which led to two anime adaptations and a very popular trading card game like that of a Magic the Gathering. <laughs> the, the story is thus. A boy named Yugi Mutuo solves the ancient millennium puzzle and awakens a gambling alter ego within himself that overcomes conflicts via different games. What? (laughs) Different games? But I thought you said it was a card game, Holden. I'm getting that. Get off my back, other Holden's voice. You need to clean your room. You need to go outside. I don't I don't want to go outside. It's scary to go outside right now. Hold on, come back. Um, come back. I'm sorry, I'm back. I'm sorry, I'm back. What happened? Where was I? Uh, I felt like I was in a, a realm that was shadowy. I don't know, but your voice got way deeper. Uh, so I love that it started out really dark. I love when stuff like this that's made for kids sort of essentially it starts out really has like a weird, super dark beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles almost or something like that. So uh, Takahashi, as a kid, he liked watching Japanese tokusatsu uh, or special effects television shows. We're talking Ultraman. We're talking Kamen Rider, that sort of thing where you had kaiju monsters and all that sort of stuff. And this is actually what got him wanting to draw. He wanted to draw these monsters and he, and he grew a love for that sort of thing and for drawing that led to a career in drawing any career would do. He worked as an illustrator and in video games before his career in manga, but also as a child, he was obsessed with games of all kind and felt that in a game, the player becomes the hero. So that's where he, that's, that's where he was pushed into the, the manga world. He honestly seemed to, he, he had a rough start. Actually, never mind. He didn't seem to have an easy beginning. Yeah, he had oh, a rough it's start. brutal. Cause uh, <laughs> He submitted his the opposite this, of what I was about. <laughs> the story we've covered in a lot of uh, Shonen Jump authors is they had their pitch, they had their pilot package, 
you know, kind of their 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 premiere work, and uh, it won a big prize, and it got him noticed by Shonen Jump, and he signed a contract. But he just this started like in the '80s, and he just did not have a hit. He just could not quite get it. He tried like a wrestling uh, manga, didn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. He's like he just kept bouncing from assistant to trying a new series, and just kept getting shut down. Oh, was the wrestling manga the one that was based on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, or was that it's a different all sport? based on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yu-Gi-Oh is baby JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It takes place in Egypt with a bunch of like spooky immortals. I don't see the connection. There's like battles of wills that are just ass pull after ass pull after ass pull, where someone's like, "I guess that you guess that I guess that you guess that I guessed I would do this, so that's why I did this." <laughs> I actually guess that you guessed that, you piece of garbage. If you say ass pull one more time, I'm going to have a problem. It's the genre. I'm sorry. I'm so- In Japan, it is known as asuparu, but still, it's- I made that up. I'm sorry. Um, but, like, oh, especially the early Yu-Gi-Oh! manga chapters uh, are just straight up JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, Every before they settle into the dual monsters thing, and even afterwards for a while, it's one third of the story is always Yugi explaining some recent fad game. Uh, they literally touch on stuff like the remember when high precision yo yos were a big deal in the 90s, like those yo mega guys. There's a whole uh, chapter yeah, where Yu Gi Oh's like, yo, Junoichi, who's Joey in the Japanese version, uh, check out these high-grade yo-yos in America. And they just spend a whole bunch of pages talking about how cool the yo-yos are. Then a psycho bully just tortures our heroes for another, like, <laughs> third of the story. Just, like, tr- which is JoJo shit all the way. JoJo loves prolonged bully scenes. And then the final <laughs> third is just Yugi snapping into dark Yugi mode, going like, you thought you could challenge me, but I'm actually a, a dead guy. And now, because you were such a piece of crap, I'm going to torture you or kill you. And every chapter ends with the bully, like, straight up getting murdered a lot of the times. Which right, is super yeah. violent, super spooky, super psychological. Um, Takahashi says he loved JoJo. He constantly talks about Araki as one of his influences. And if you if you read those mangas, especially those early ones, it's so readily apparent. And that would make a lot of sense because he was also trying to distance himself from, let's say, a Dragon Ball or something like that would center around martial arts and fighting. Takahashi said, back when I was working at a game company, it was an era of martial arts video games where players could take control of characters and make them fight. So it was less interesting to create a manga about martial arts. It was more special, more different to make a manga about tabletop games, which are analog and more traditional. Karina, did you read any of the manga? Absolutely. I love the first, like, the original Yu-Gi-Oh! manga. I think it's so fun and creative. (laughs) So did you enjoy the dark turn of the original, especially those first? like, I got the manga because it was in those little scholastics, like, book order uh, sheets you had in, uh, in elementary school. It, Yu-Gi-Oh was the Garfield for the, <laughs> for, for Gen Z. Oh and, and I thought it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is so cool. 
this is a, actually while we're on the topic, because I really wanted to get your perspective on this from a cartooning standpoint, from like a comics draftsmanship art perspective. Like what are things that you notice in Takahashi's style and like his designs and his like uh, the way he lays out stuff? Like, is he a particular are there noteworthy things about his like style as a mangaka? I mean, I have like, well, I have it, but I don't have the English copy like his Yu-Gi-Oh! art book that he put out mm. a while ago and he talks about like the design choices he made for Yugi and it's all just like stuff that he likes <laughs> <laughs> like the reason he has like the goth kind of clothing is he's like yeah it's kind of based off of Edward Scissorhands <laughs> I like that tight black <laughs> strappy belt yeah. shirt yeah fuck. he was just like yeah that's cool <laughs> and like the shape of his hair is supposed to be like a, a hand <laughs> what <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I guess yeah. if you looked at a, like a hand that would play. Yeah, like silhouette or... wise, it has uh-huh. like five main points. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. hand. That's so funny. <laughs> and it's it just is like, a very strong yeah. silhouette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm just like, I don't get it, but I like it. <laughs> uh, also, early on, the games that they were playing were not like we said. The card game shogi. Mahjong, Blackjack, others, a major focus for Takahashi was uh, the playing of tabletop RPGs and other games of that sort because it stressed communication between people and opposed as opposed to the more popular video game culture at that time. Seems like he really looked down on internet and video game culture <laughs> back then, especially it was like that people aren't communicating with each other, they're not looking each other in the eyes. I want to try to bring that back, that sort of thing. And another game featured in the series that was actually released on the PlayStation eventually and Game Boy Color was called Monster Capsule. I wonder what that game was based off of Monster Capsule. <laughs> there was a few, oh God, there's a few weird game. There's, yeah, there's Capsule Monster Chess or something that yeah. gets played in a couple of chapters, which in, I do not understand the rules at all, but it was just an excuse to for Yugi to get fucked with with pharaoh magic and then there was dungeon dice dual dice (laughs) duke devlin's dungeon dual dice yeah (laughs) which was this very bizarre game that involved um you rolled these plastic dice to you know do an action and then you unfurled the dice to make like uh basically a, a dungeon map it like laid out flat and you could place it down and start playing it on there that was not successful at all even though nope. duke devlin is a very uh classic character mm. very sensual genius boy was he trying at, at, at any point i mean until the card game takes off he's not actually trying to get is he trying to get physical games to be made out of what he's writing about is that because i guess this makes me think he was trying to do that trying to franchise a little bit no. Right? It was just, it was just, he just loved games. He just yeah. Loved the early yeah. chapters are, it's a weird division between uh, a classic game, whether that's like uh, just an old drinking game or, uh, yeah, chess or something, or these wholly new, just weird gadgets. Like one, oh God, I looked it up. One was a handheld robot fighting game, and half the, uh, the manga was explaining, like, Yo, yeah, you you have punch, block, kick, special attack. You build up points, but like just wasting my time talking about a fake toy so that Yugi can beat someone at it and murder him. Right. And even Duel Monsters, the you know the the game that you know the the reason for the season was mm-hmm. just supposed to be a blatant knockoff of Magic: The Gathering. It was just mm-hmm. Japanese kids were 
into Magic the Gathering. The game was introduced as Magic and Wizards, you know. Yeah, ma- Magic, yeah. Magic, Magic the Gathering, the Gathering Wizards made by of the Wizards Coast. of the Coast, yeah. Um, the card backs have the little, even to this day, that little vortex still has that oval shape that's on the back of Magic cards. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just supposed to be it, like, just, oh, Yugi plays games and this is the hot new game. Let's just do that. Uh, Takahashi said, when the manga began, the original concept was to show various ways of battling using games each week. At first, I wasn't even thinking about a card game. Cards were just one of those games. After drawing them for two weeks, there was such an overwhelming reaction from the readers that I decided to make the manga into a series about cards as a response to their request. And that's because at the back of these manga magazines like Weekly Shonen Jump, there was a little card that readers could actually fill out and mail to the publication because they needed that feedback. Feedback. This is, I guess, this is the time the internet was just becoming a thing. But they really needed that feedback that they couldn't get, like we get in an online sense these days. So you can mail this in and let them know what your favorite series were in the magazine because it ran. I mean, how many series are in a single weekly Shonen Jump per average? Do you think? I I want to say like eight to ten. Yeah. Right. It's like a solid chunky amount of different variety of stuff. So that so that you really would have your favorites, and then those favorites would end up taking off and becoming One Piece or Dragon Ball or what have you. So yeah, and uh, Yu-Gi-Oh climbed up to the top ten the moment the card game appeared in the manga, and so that is why he just made a pivot. He saw what the people wanted, and he gave it to them. And so uh, yeah, then then it only appears Magic and Wizards only appears three times in the first sixty. Chapters, and it would eventually, of course, be known as Dual Monsters. Uh, but because, yeah, it got this big reaction, Takashi went into the Battle City arc, which uh, I believe is also known as Duelist Kingdom. No, I couldn't figure that there's out. There's two different. <laughs> there's two different arcs. Mm-hmm. I was trying to. I was trying to put one to one together, looking at the different titles and everything and the plot. Duelist Kingdom first, then Battle City. Then Battle City. Okay, cool. More, imp- almost more importantly than the card game itself, in that arc. Yugi is introduced to his sworn frenemy, his rival, his soulmate, his love interest? Question mark. <laughs> Seto. Is that true, Karina? Love interest? Yes or no? Um, Do you ship uh, them? Do you ship them? Loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Conflicting feelings coming from Karina about this would be will they won't they situation? Is it like the Ross and Rachel? Of Yu-Gi-Oh! To be fair, Seto is in love with the Pharaoh. Yeah, that, absolutely. Everything else... (laughs) (laughs) Seto Kaiba is introduced, and he is supposedly based on a uh, character that... um, Or a real person that when, when Takahashi was getting interested in magic cards, or some other card game, I couldn't quite nail it down... He reached out to someone, a friend of a friend that was an expert, and this guy just shut him down, called him a weakling, and said, like, you got to get good on your own merits. <laughs> and the idea of, like, what kind of sick, weird asshole <laughs> would be that serious about a card game birthed a very rich kid who is just, in, in this initial episode, in this initial appearance, he's just... The rich asshole kid from his class. He is not the magnate of a global empire. He is not <laughs> Lex Luthor in a trench coat. He's Draco. <laughs> yeah, he's like sub Draco Malfoy. But 
in that initial appearance, Seto Kaiba is just a weasel little fuck who is desperate to steal uh, Yugi's grandfather's Blue Eyes White Dragon. And also the introduction of Blue Eyes White Dragon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Karina, mm-hmm. What, is, what is the significance of Seto and Blue Eyes to the, to the fandom, to the series as a whole? I mean, that's also a loaded question. Shall <laughs> I jump way ahead? I mean, go for it. Get in there. Let's, let's dig in. I mean, Seto Kaiba is just such an iconic character at this point. <laughs> I think anyone who likes Yu-Gi-Oh! is just like, yeah, that guy. And I personally really like him. I feel like I didn't like him that much as a kid, but the older I get, the more I really appreciate him and all he does. <laughs> and Blue Eyes, I feel like, I don't know, from a TCG standpoint, pretty sick and tired of Blue Eyes. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, thank you for all these reprints of Blue Eyes. But story-wise, ooh, Blue Eyes White Dragon and Seto Kaiba are destined to be together forever. <laughs> Low key, Blue Eyes White Dragon is also kind of Kaiba's love interest. <laughs> but really, in the story. Wow. Oh, absolutely. He is yeah. obsessed with that card. <laughs> well, no, because everyone, every card is kind of has some significance to the characters in some way because of the ancient Egyptian like backstory of it. So the Blue Eyes White Dragon in the ancient Egyptian backstory was a girl that like ancient Egyptian Kaiba rescued. And mm. they kind of had a thing, but she was also the blue eyes white dragon, and she ends up dying and giving her dragon to Kaiba. I hate when that happens. <laughs> the worst. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. The way the plot evolves around Kaiba is really just amazing. Like, on, like I honestly, <laughs> more beyond uh, Vegeta and Goku, beyond Sasuke and Naruto, beyond any of the great like red-blue rivalries in anime history, the way that they just keep giving Kaiba like more money, more obsession, <laughs> more uh, weird personal vehicles in the shape of his favorite <laughs> dragon. He is like so. F- it's it's amazing. Flanderization in progress, like to see it happen. On it's just he's there throughout the entire series. Um, he has so much more pathos, so much more weird, like tra- uh, tragic backstory. He took over his father's corporation, uh, and having uh, and so his dad jumped out a window. Yeah, uh, and that's how he learned that losing is the worst thing you can do. That if you're going to lose at anything, you might as well die. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a lot to Kaiba's story, and I love it. 
Um, he has a weird, dumb haircut that no matter how they change his design, he keeps that bowl cut with the point at the end. <laughs> God, even his costume, just he, he like Yugi has to say the same. Joey has to stay in the same green school uniform, even though everyone else or whatever his street clothes are. But Kaiba gets to keep evolving. Kaiba gets to grow. <laughs> Kaiba gets to just he, it's it's wear belts on his arm. Yeah, so many belts yeah. in so many places. <laughs> you can tell when they're doing like side stories or side movies that like the writers really just want to play with Kaiba more than any other character because he he's just... an icon. <laughs> <laughs> I will use this platform to say that I think Kaiba is a tragic <laughs> hero in the Yu-Gi-Oh story, and I stand ah. by that forever. He wow. just has so much more depth to him than a lot of the other characters. I'm sorry. I mean, just that <laughs> sorry, backstory Yugi. alone with the father and the <laughs> yeah. jumping out the, you know, that's some dark. And that's what is nice. I think maybe this, does this show probably get darker even without, not considering those first 10 issues or whatever it is of the manga? Does this get uh, get darker for children in a way that other shows don't? I mean, that's kind of a... Because uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! isn't really a children's story. And, uh-huh. I mean, part of Kaiba's backstory that was glazed over. Um, actually, sorry to just... <laughs> but um, <laughs> he was orphaned as a wee boy. And he got adopted mm. by this like business guy father who was very abusive towards him. So that's why Kaiba drove him to, like... You know, he outsmarted him and took over the company and just drove him to like fuck off out a window or something (laughs) just as like sick revenge as as a wee boy (laughs) so briefly i'll just say the name stuff the word Yu-Gi-Oh means uh, put all together Yu-Gi-Oh means king of games the protagonist's name is yugi and the other main character is his best bud jonochi uh which is this is a play on the word yujo which translates to friendship And also the artist (laughs) talks about how he uh, believes that everybody has a hidden part is how he refers to a hidden part within within everyone that can be uh, released and uh, uh, is greatly powerful and an inner strength that needs to come out of each and every person in the world. But that also (laughs) we can be friends while we're our creepy hidden parts are screaming at each other as well. Okay, so that's that part. (laughs) So all the pieces are in place. You have uh, Yugi, who is this meek character who can, you know, do the classic, like, anime transform into a stronger version of himself. Uh, You have now the card game, which is an addictive framework. It lays out a kind of baseline for all the conflicts that isn't just Dragon Ball punchy punch fights or what it previously was, which was a just jumble of changing stakes and games every chapter you have villains you have friends you have the base characters and now you have uh, an anime you have a card game and you have something that for an american uh, audience an american i guess entertainment industry that is eager to recreate the success of pokemon they have something that they have they can use in Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get to four kids. <laughs> <laughs> also, there was season zero, but we won't talk about season zero. I will say a couple of uh, some background on the anime in Japan and the card game. Uh, so an- the first anime produced in 1998 before 
Duel Monsters. This ran for 27 episodes, and it had one movie. The show was not released outside of Japan. It adapts the first 59 chapters of the manga in an extremely abridged way, which makes sense because it's only 27 episodes. And it also added a new character to the group named Miho Nosaka. I think he was appeared in maybe one issue or something like that of the actual manga but is now this one of like a main character and he appears uh, uh yeah he appears in it on uh, Toei Animation produced it and it was broadcast on TV Asahi it was directed by Hiro uh Yuki Kudo I do so good during these Japanese <laughs> Entity episodes. I'm so good at saying the words. Who is best known for directing the first two Digimon series? But Ooh. did you guys watch this first? Go back and watch this pre Duel Monsters Yu Gi Oh! I have watched parts of it, but I've never watched it in full. Yeah, same. Okay, and it was, it's, it's kind of whatever, I take it then. It's yeah. the early chapters, so the, uh, you can just read it. <laughs> it's finding itself. Yeah, like it, it's its own kind of like special. And people really like it, but it's also kind of difficult because it's so old and was so limited uh-huh. in its release. So it's kind of difficult to like find and mm-hmm. good quality of it. Oh, and very key, <laughs> Kaiba has green hair in it. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it's just fucking watermelon, jolly <laughs> Kool-Aid green hair. <laughs> Uh, also, then you have the reason for this season, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters, animated by Studio Gallop and directed by Kunihisa Sugishima, the Yu-Gi-Oh! we all know and love, and it debuted in Japan in the year 2000. Sugishima, the director, did work on a few Gundam series before this, among other things, and the series takes place right where the last series left off, which is essentially when the whole franchise got really got its legs at the end of Volume 7 in the manga, with a small amount of crossover in which they took previous... This is very fascinating to me. I want to go back and see how what they did with this. But they took previous battles that happened with an RPG game from a previous arc and translated it to Duel Monsters storyline stuff. And I think that's kind of a fascinating thing where they're like, all right, we'll just take the beats of this and just make it the card game instead of the role-playing game that they were using previously. Miho Nosaka uh, also was dropped from this series as a main character. And uh, yeah, there were, of course, diversions from the plot found in the series from the manga, which are mostly due to toning it down a little bit for a younger audience. Uh, And there were also a few filler story arcs because, of course, I feel like every time we talk about a manga anime adaptation situation the anime starts up and the manga it catches up too fast so there were a couple of filler arcs just to let the manga get a little distant from the anime so that they could use get more source material out of it so dueling monsters ran for 224 episodes and yeah uh let's talk about this four kids entertainment localization (laughs) how many how many times we talked about four kids in the past, Jake. I feel like it's definitely been brought up before. Well, right? they're tied into the history of almost every major children's anime of the late 90s. They're tied into the history of Nintendo. They're tied into the history of Activision. They're tied into the history of a bunch of 80s cartoons. It's it's like annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, founded in, I will make this brief because I'm sure I've said this before, founded in 1970 as Leisure Concepts by Mike Germakian and Stan Weston. They were doing the all their whole purpose was to pitch cartoon and toy ideas to companies. And they got into the licensing game in the 80s, which led to developing the show's Thundercats, 
uh, Weston would actually go on to create G.I. Joe, and we'd Reagan, 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 blah, 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 with the uh, selling toys to kids thing that probably shouldn't have happened because then they just were gross about it in the 80s and 90s. In the 90s, however, the company expanded into television production, including making the English dub for anime shows from Japan via its subsidiary 4Kids Productions. It would change its name entirely to 4Kids Entertainment in 1995, and the English dubbed version aired in North America on Kids WB starting in September of 2001 up until June of 2006. Yu-Gi-Oh! And they nailed it, right? They just crushed it. Famously. (laughs) So one of the things 4Kids, I think, really got right was the voice cast, because it is really iconic performances for all of the eccentricities of it. It's... They just, they are legendary. You know, uh, you can't talk about the four kids dub without talking about people like uh, Dan Green or I just had it up. Why don't I have oh it up? Oh my God, anymore? Jake, you're ruining everything. Which one? I know I'm all, which one? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Eric Stewart. Eric Stewart as Seto Kaiba. <laughs> Amy Birnbaum as Taya Gardner. And I mean, honestly, Wayne Grayson as Jolie Wheeler. Holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit, one of the greatest barely accurate New York accents in the history of animation. Aw, <laughs> oh, jeez, you. <laughs> I'm ready to kick some tail. Also, uh, another good one is Ma- uh, Darren Dunstan as Maximilian Pegasus, uh, the most foppish dandy in the history. You know, we're dealing with, like, Skeletor. We're dealing with, uh, uh, we're dealing with Mewtwo. We're dealing with... You know, a, a history of like really grand threatening villains and just more menace and just well played, Yugi boy. <laughs> it's just like so much more head fucky. And uh, it's I, I watched a panel interview with a bunch of the cast brought together, and it turns out uh, they kind of were all classmates together in New York City, and they had mm. kind of this mutual friend at Central Park Media, which was an early anime localizer. Like think like. Akira on Blu-ray level, like old school anime dubs. And so that was how they got their foot in the door. And everybody at that panel in the Q&A session wanted them to shit on four kids, wanted them to clown on how, you know, they were mean to workers or how they, you know, butchered the series with all the censorship. But all of them were just kind of like, no, we were a bunch of unknown like voice actors. And like, they kept giving us work in all the subsequent Yu-Gi-Oh shows and like, People like Dan Green have ended up becoming directors themselves. And, you know, they they speak nothing but highly of their experience there. And it's I find like those voices, the, the choices they made were so much more bold than um, what other kids dubs were doing at the time. Like, think about the voice of like Ash Ketchum or TK or any of these other like kid heroes. And then you have Dan Green just being like. That's right, Kaiba! Like, it's so much more badass. <laughs> You've already it. activated my trap card! Like, it's so, like, mm, booming. But there was censorship. Yes, yeah. and, <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm going to get into. Uh, yeah, so, but of course, there uh, this always happens, uh, but in some ways it was baffling at times in this uh, in this uh, situation. So they removed guns, some elements of character arcs, religious symbols most notably the name of osiris the sky dragon was changed to slifer the sky dragon slifer 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 being a producer at four kids name 
that's where they got that. They uh, they dealt with, uh, I guess they covered up short skirts and cleavage. While deaths in the show were changed to sent to the shadow realm, which of course there's now memes and stuff about that. I'm going to say right now, being trapped in a shadow realm, <laughs> much more frightening than death. So I don't really understand how that is a step up. I would much rather die <laughs> than be trapped for however the hell long, assuming all eternity, in something described as a shadow realm. Also more threatening than death was the fact that Yugi would uh, occasionally do a power that he called mind crushing on people, which I think leaves them a shattered husk of a human being. Also a fate worse than death. It's never clear what mind crush does. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the shadow realm was kind of a thing in the show, though, so it almost works. But, okay. Uh, and it makes way more sense in Yu-Gi-Oh!, than uh, Dragon Ball Z, where people would like shoot giant nuclear fireballs at each other and just be like, that's right, I'm going to send you to another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they, they did start releasing an uncut version with Funimation in 2004, but only got through the first nine episodes. And they later tried to release uncut Japanese episodes on YouTube, but had legal issues with Yugi's Japanese voice actor, Shunisuke Kazama. So they stopped doing that. So yeah, it's hard to find. You pretty much you, what you see is what you get from uh, with those original four kids releases. But I always love because we've dealt with this with so many products uh, coming from. I think the funniest one to me is like censoring Egyptian gods' names. Like real. Like why do we need to do that? That's so silly to me, but uh, just taking out all religion, I guess. It like yeah, there's stuff like uh, Exodia, the Forbidden One, that you know the famous like uh, Trump card that Yugi used in the original series. It comes out of like just a, a legit pentagram, just like hail Satan bullshit, and they change it to like a more wooshy wooshy alchemic symbol. There's one of my favorite censorships in the show is the cutaway slaps. Because this is an anime about friendship and believing in yourself. So, like, every couple of episodes, one character would just, like, snap someone out of, like, their bullshit by, like, throwing a punch or giving them a solid slap. And you would always see them, like, walk up to the character who was having a bad time. Then there'd be a weird smash cut where they're just talking. And for some unknown reason, uh, the other character would just have, like, a big bruise on their face. <laughs> Another weird thing is the card art uh, legally, even though Reagan did do that thing where you can do shows based on toys. Yeah, that's what I was meaning by Reagan, yeah. Reagan, Reagan earlier. He essentially made it possible for you to hawk toys to children via television shows at some point in the 80s, uh, which was previously banned. And that's why you got the toy explosion television bonanza that was G.I. Joe, Thunderhawks, Transformers. And the list goes on and on. But they changed the card art in the show because you can't directly show the toy. Mm. Like, you can make it about the toy, but you can't just have a photo of the toy. Right. So the art is changed. Uh, Karina, so, like, these, the, the, the early seasons, it's the part that people remember the best because it was during this anime boom. But, like, what are some of the key moments that, like, stuck with fans? Like, what are the iconic duels and, like... Things that keep coming up in memes and fan art and stuff like that. Um, of what, like 
first series of Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, yeah. Duelist Kingdom and stuff. Yeah, because, oh, are there other seasons? I know, I didn't realize. There's, I thought it was just Dueling Monsters. It's a, it's a long story. But <laughs> we'll get there, we'll get there. I have a Absolutely iconic meme format, but iconic in general is gotta be just the first episode. <laughs> because it has the whole bit at the end where Kaiba's like, Draw your last pathetic card, Yugi. And Yugi says, my grandpa's deck has no pathetic cards. <laughs> and then oh, he summons yeah. Exodia and Kaiba screams. Oh, yeah. The, the card flip. Like, <laughs> like, you can't eat ice cream for dinner. Like, what if it's like, what if it's opposite day? No! <laughs> that was the worst off the cuff meme I could. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I could have just looked it up and it would have been way easier. Just iconic characters. Weevil, awful, awful little boy. Hate him. He's pretty iconic. <laughs> Is that the the glasses and the bowl cut insect yeah. guy? Oh, <laughs> oh. who tossed Exodia off the boat? Like, oh ugh. my god! I didn't even look that. He I remember sucks. that. God, that was such a dick punch. Yeah, Joey <laughs> is just also iconic, and he does that thing with his face that's just <laughs> very meme now. He has like a special face he does with his chin. It's like, oh, I actually, I looked that up. I have the notes and um, it wasn't part of the manga. It was not part of the manga. One of the animation directors um, who was on Twitter actually responded to a fan question. And if you look up the guy it's based on, it's genuinely a freaky chin. But Antonio Inoki. He was what, a wrestler? Yeah, he was a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea was that, like, of course, Joey, the rough and tumble reformed child delinquent, would love wrestling. So when he gets pumped up, he would look like Antonio Inoki. And I, please, I know you're, you can't, you literally cannot listen to this show without being on an internet device. Look up photos of this majestic head meat that this guy possesses. Just a real devastator of a lower jaw. Uh, he famously fought Muhammad Ali. He uh, fought uh, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. He was like the iconic wrestler of the uh, 70s and 80s in Japan. So fans watching in Japan would totally understand the reference. And us American kids would just be like, why does my favorite character now look like a weird sex demon? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. So many iconic things. I couldn't begin to tell you. Personally, iconic to me is a scene from season four where Seto Kaiba buys a car and he goes to a car dealership and says, I'm going to buy this car. And the guy's like, you can't just buy this car. And then Kaiba writes him a check for $500,000 and drives <laughs> off with the car. It should be noted that within the canon of the series, Kaiba is probably 14 at this time. <laughs> Maybe 15? He is 16 or 18. Okay. Mm. Unclear. You can try. He at least has his permit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Who we haven't mentioned? Bakura. Yeah. What's his deal? He's like always around. That's a big question. He's the bad guy. He's the final boss. Oh, yeah. His name's like Gork. Gork the Undying or something secretly. Nork? It's Zork. It's Zork. (laughs) It's It's not a cool name, no, but... And he's not a cool, like, demon. He's very... Because, <laughs> yeah, he's so he's such, like, an interesting character, villain, because he's just there throughout the series, just kind of 
being like a little gremlin about things and being like kind of evil, but then he just comes out in full force at the end. And he's also a demon after all. Big old demon with a big old dragon dick, and it's just awful. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. It's real. In interviews, like there was a question that kept like like an answer that people kept sharing that um, oh I was really lonely when I designed this this monster and it didn't stick I didn't realize that's what they were talking about. Oh, uh, if I recall correctly, because I didn't know research, you know, relearning anything coming into this, Zork was designed while Takahashi was on like hella deadline crunch and he was like <laughs> suffering from severe exhaustion as well. <laughs> So he was like, yeah, I realized later it was kind of weird, but in the moment. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is this? <laughs> she, she said it is a dick dragon. There's nothing else that can describe it. I mean, I just didn't realize when you said that, I thought there would be a small protrusion. No. The dick is, is the size of the rest of him. Yeah, <laughs> it's a dragon. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm intimidated. If I saw that walking out of the street, I wouldn't want to, you know. And they do a wonderful job censoring it in the dub. Uh, oh, really? Don't worry. What do they no. do? Um, if I recall correctly, the part that looks like a dick, everything in between it and the dragon head just gets like f- painted into the entire torso. Oh, I yeah. I can see that. I can see that. So they just gave him like a lump. Yeah, instead of the rest of the body. (laughs) What the fuck is this, dude? This is blowing my mind right now. Yu-Gi-Oh's weird. It's weird and sexy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, what was the funnest? uh, What was the biggest turn on about this? Um, You do not have to answer that. All the belts. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, but 224 episodes. Ran for a very long time. I guess I want to get into the history of the trading card game. Do we want to talk a little bit more about the uh, flavor of the, at least the first series before we move on to the trading card game and then into the other many various (laughs) series that are Yu-Gi-Oh? I mean, if you're going to watch a Yu-Gi-Oh series, you watch the first one. The rest are so, it goes so off the wall after this, which is hard to believe. (laughs) <laughs> but believe me <laughs> it's like any other anime series it's like yeah. any other anime thing it's like and Yu-Gi-Oh is very dry yeah it has so little filler technically and it has Kaiba in it what work <laughs> do you ask for the final arc where Yugi actually has to fight quote-unquote himself Spoiler. is really compelling <laughs> it's a genuinely great way to end a series yeah like Yu-Gi-Oh! is such a good story emotionally. I love it. <laughs> All right, so the trading card game, this is all sort of happening parallel. We're actually going to take a, take a step a little back in time from what we were just talking about with the anime series. Once the manga fully turned to the card game, Bandai was actually the first to release physical dual monster cards, but these were just, like, for show. There wasn't an actual playable way to use these cards. It wasn't until 1998 uh, with Konami that created an official trading card game. Of course, Konami, again, just like four kids, I feel like we've talked about them a million times. I will just say they were founded in 1973 (laughs) as a jukebox rental and repair business turned maker of amusement machines. They released their first coin-operated video game in 1978, which led to hits in the 80s in arcades. For them, such as Frogger, which made them popular in the U.S., and after that, they get into the console business with games like Castlevania and Metal Gear series. But it's actually Yu-Gi-Oh! that is the first 
of their foray into the trading card game business. And so that was kind of fascinating. It's clear they took some notes from what they were seeing around them with other TCGs. In the game, players draw six cards from their decks and take turns playing said cards on, quote, the field or the play space. Decks contain 40 to 50 cards with an optional side deck of 15 that players can use to swap out cards. There are restrictions on some of the cards to be put in a deck one or two times tops, stuff like that. Um, And each player starts with 8,000 life points, which was actually increased in the show. It's 2,000, and they made it 8,000 in the physical game. And the game ends if either player loses all their life points, or uh, there are no more cards to draw from the main deck, or a special condition on a card triggers a win or a loss. And uh, there were three different card types, monster, spell, and trap. Monsters are sent out into battle. The other players' monsters uh, uh, to battle the other players' monsters. Magic cards have various effects, like buffs, or even can summon special monster cards. And trap cards are placed face down in the field and are triggered in response to the other player doing certain things. Karina, how did I do? Was that about right? Yeah, that was pretty decent. That's <laughs> a very yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad you get the seal of approval. That's that's the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it sounds like magic. It sounds like magic. I know I'd be bad at this game because I'm so squirrel-brained that I'd put down like a trap card and just forget that it was there. <laughs> I, uh-huh. I will say it's so easy to play it in video games. Real life, it's mm. a lot more squirrel brain (laughs) and i mean they must yeah well i've seen the list so i know the answer to this they have a bagillion different iterations on that of course the video games aren't just the card game i'm sure there's a ton of different uh genre of video game that that Yu-Gi-Oh has put out (laughs) stuff for absolutely but uh yeah the game moves to the u.s in 2002 with two starter decks that revolved around yugi and kaiba as well as a booster set legend of blue eyes white dragon Hooray! uh and the game had uh, a very small small card pool at this point and most cards had very simple one-line effects but more cards released all throughout 2002 and this would up the complexity of the game. And much like Magic the Gathering, early on, there were a small set of incredibly OP cards that would eventually end up on the Forbidden List. I don't know. It's my Forbidden List song. <laughs> For example, this is an early uh, cheese that like kind of overwhelmed the game and immediately kind of highlighted how these things need to be locked down. Uh you could just fill your deck with, like, Pot of Greed, which lets you draw a bunch of cards. So you could just spam that, like, get Exodia in your, like, first or second turn and just win the game instantly. <laughs> uh, describe what getting Exodia means. Uh, as shown in the famous first episode, uh, it was a special condition card where you got the main monster and his useless limbs. But if you got all five of them in the same hand... No matter what the life points were, no matter what was happening on the field, you won the game. I like it because if you put the cards together to try and assemble his full picture, he looks like a squat Danny DeVito Egyptian man. (laughs) (laughs) Very silly, very silly looking. And so just by filling your hand, filling your deck with just a card draw, you can just flap, 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 flap and win. Like it was just a very early thing to cheese. Um, I watched a lot of inner Yu-Gi-Oh! drama channels on YouTube. And the things that I noticed 
that were a lot of people were complaining about is And this was by the way before we had to research the episode. He just <laughs> does that. That's just the wow, thing say. he does. <laughs> you know me, I'm more of a card fighter vanguard kind of guy, but you know, I, I dip my toe into the Yugi waters. So some of the issues that kind of came up are that because there's so many special conditions and so many different uh monster effects that have like been introduced into the game what basically happens is there's a dominant deck that kind of takes over the meta and as soon as it's discovered all play is just people walking in with the same deck and whoever just happens to draw the quickest way to just utilize it and take (laughs) over and win wins and there's not a lot of skill right people will kind of counter that the skill in Yu-Gi-Oh is acquiring the cards that it is the hunt, it is the trading, it is the hustle. And, you know, assembling the great deck, the meta deck, is a show of your determined, you know, your, your, that's the sport, more or less. Which is great because it translates in from anime into the real world because then that makes the rich kid always the villain. Well, that's the, another <laughs> issue is that because it's so reliant on kind of building decks, the market, the secondhand market goes nuts and a winning deck could cost you thousands of dollars. Then, as an extra just kick in the teeth, that dominant deck is going to get banned the next couple of months because <laughs> it was meta and ruined the game. So you just threw that money out the in the out the window, and it loses value because now you can't use it to win tournaments. Um, another thing that people point out is while Magic the Gathering and Pokemon were more expensive to buy in terms of booster packs the drop rates for, like, actual useful cards in Yu-Gi-Oh! was worse. So, like, the gotcha mechanics, it was harder to get rare cards, it was harder to get uh, powerful cards, so you ended up spending more money in the long run. So, you know, a parent would see, like, a Yu-Gi-Oh! pack for, like, way cheaper than the other ones and be like, "Uh, guess what? You're getting Yu-Gi-Oh! for Christmas! Only to doom their child to get even deeper into the hole to play. (laughs) (laughs) That's only a good job. The game got its first big tournament in 2003 with TCG, the 2003 World Championship, and the winning strat moved from a essentially beatdown style, just attack, 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 to hand control, forcing the opponent to discard cards from their deck, manipulating their deck, which is a lot more interesting play for sure 2004 saw the rise of the chaos control deck which centered around using light and dark monsters to summon chaos monsters and that led to the goat format in 2005 in which you would uh be playing against someone and then just be like oh my god there's a goat and then of course you would hire someone to have a goat inside of the tournament space and then they'd look to see the goat and they'd be like dear lord he was right and then you you go in and you shuffle the card okay i'll stop um <laughs> The GOAT format in 2005, which entailed using Scapegoat and Metamorphosis to summon Thousand Eyes Restrict, which could take on the attack and defense of one of the opposing player's cards. So take that, Chaos Strat. (laughs) Goat it up in the future. But anyways, new cards keep coming in and changing things. I can't get into like the full history, but that's just an example of how it started, how the strategy slowly evolved, and yeah, just different, different cards being... 
thrown into the TCG from the anime and completely flipping the strategy on its head for everybody involved. Karina, do you remember some of the names of the decks that you were like trying to assemble or that were being played back when you were playing the TCG? Because it's... Uh, uh. I mean, like I said, I'm a casual player and I certainly don't pay attention to like the meta because I'm just not into that. I'm like trying to remember. They call they call buy. people like you playing rogue decks. You were a rogue. You were a rebel. You no, were I a- played beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> I played a light attribute beatdown deck. <laughs> Silent magician. Nice, nice. One deck that I I did try to make in real life about five years ago was a fluffle monster deck, and that was too difficult, so I gave up. <laughs> what, 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 what was the strategy? Yeah. yeah, That's a good question. I like don't even remember anymore. I just like the monsters because they did this fun thing where they're these cute stuffed animals, and then you fuse them with knives, and then they become scary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did do the thing where I was like, oh, these are in circulation right now. Like These are in the boosters right now. I'm just going to buy a bunch of boosters. So hard. So hard to find anything I wanted. <laughs> I had so many heavy samurai cards and like three fluffle cards. <laughs> That's how it always works, for sure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Holden, do you have anything about the uh, lawsuit about the cards? No, I have a lawsuit about four kids, and essentially (laughs) four kids got sued up their stupid pants, and that's how Konami ended up getting the rights to the anime, uh, actually. But what's the lawsuit for? Because four kids were accused of underpaying the uh, the Japanese uh, producers, and so that put them into bankruptcy, and so Konami acquired the rights. What's the lawsuit for the cards? <laughs> so the playing card game was handled and distributed in America and I think Europe by Upper Deck, which if you are an oh, old yes. fart, you remember they made basically the choicest, most premium baseball cards. A, yeah. uh, you know, tops, fleer, trash. It comes with a stick of bubble gum. Who needs it? Upper deck <laughs> cards had like cool little holograms and like printing that was on shiny card stock. And it was, you know, the, the real cool kids got the upper deck cards. At a certain point, upper deck running low on uh, supply from Japan and just having trouble filling orders and just didn't want to take on the costs of printing the cards themselves, just imported a shit ton of Chinese knockoff Yu-Gi-Oh cards, wrapping them up and distributing them as real Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Nobody noticed until uh, somebody uh, saw that the special little foil hologram square on every card, known as the Eye of Osiris, was placed sideways in a pack 
that was discovered in like sand in a San Diego Toys R Us. Wow. And uh, this was years of legal battle back and forth until around uh, 2010. And I have a quote from uh, Upper Deck's lawyer during the end of the trial. At this point, Upper Deck doesn't have a lot of life points. If we're talking about behavior that from a defense attorney standpoint, I can't defend and I am not going to defend. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the evidence that came up was uh, a cover up, including a meeting at the office of the Upper Deck's chairman uh, in which he and at least one other employee had compared imported Chinese samples of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards against uh, fakes. Uh, They then shredded all evidence, and I don't know how they found out about it. And another employee had an email that leaked uh, asking other employees if they could provide her with information on how to obtain Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG security foils in secrecy. After that point, uh, Konami took control of distribution of Yu-Gi-Oh! cards in America. The four kids thing, I think they were um, distributing, like, repackaged episodes and DVDs and not counting them towards their cut. I think that was like the big whoopsie doodle. Mm. But um, yeah, Konami was like, hey. That's crazy though. (laughs) I couldn't help but notice everyone's earning billions of dollars off this thing we own. (laughs) That's insane. I can't believe they just like thought they would get away with that. (laughs) It's the children. Again, it's the theme of the of the whole series. They're children's playing cards. How who could take this so seriously? (laughs) All right. I'm going to I'm going to see if we can like lightning round the further shows and films. Essentially, I'm going to give a brief description of the film. And Karina, I want you to say either whether you've seen it or not. And if it's any good or not or anything, a little tidbit about it, if you have one. Okay, let's see. Let's. Let's see. Don't worry. No pressure. I, I'm sure it's, it's, there's so much here. I'll just try to keep it brief. <laughs> yeah. There's so much here that I do. I will not fault you for having not seen any amount of it. Well. <laughs> but that, wouldn't that be weird if I did? Wouldn't that be weird if I got all upset with you? You haven't seen that one either. All right. Anyways, um, here we go. Uh, a movie dropped along with the end of Duel Monsters called Yu-Gi-Oh! The Movie Pyramid of Light. Uh, yes, I did see it. I saw it in theaters when I was a wee child, and yeah. um, it's awful. I, <laughs> it doesn't even have any value, like, watching again for nostalgia as an adult, just because it's, like, Very not good. good. It It is not, this is not a canon Yu-Gi-Oh product. It was more made for marketing by, like... English. Uh, it was produced by Four Kids. Yeah, it was produced by Four Kids. Like it was made okay. by like the English distributors and not like the actual Yu-Gi-Oh people. That interesting. Very good. Very good. Um, and that makes sense. A bit of a cash grab. Next came the spinoff sequel, Yu-Gi-Oh GX, which stood for Generation Next or Gen X. It followed Yuki and his buds as they attend Dual Academy. So a little bit of a Harry Potter. <laughs> Uh, My Hero Academia <laughs> st- uh, style situation. Um, did you watch that? Absolutely. This is my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh spinoff. Oh, it's so okay. good, but I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It's definitely, <laughs> it's a commitment. Just to correct you a little, the main character is Judai or Jaden in oh. the dub, but his last name is Yuki. Ah. Uh, he's the only Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist who doesn't have you in his like given name. But yeah, this one's really fun. It's very famous amongst fans because it does. It's it's a very like silly. I, I would describe it as experimental series because they were just throwing shit at the wall for this one. 
It kind of allowed the rest of the Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise to be absolutely batshit insane, I believe. But it takes a very dark turn later in the series and basically hmm. becomes a full-on deconstruction, some would describe it, of huh. a shonen protagonist. Cool! It's interesting, but it's definitely long and a commitment. Gotcha. Awesome. <laughs> Before we move on from GX, I just, I've only seen this name. What can you tell me about Chaz Princeton? He is the best. He's one of my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise characters. He is the Kaiba of the series. Every French, every series has like its own little, um, like yeah, there's a protagonist, there's a rival, etc. So he's technically the Kaiba of Kaiba of the series. He is a much more like comedy relief Kaiba though, and it's <laughs> with it's a name very, like Chaz Princeton. It's very charming. <laughs> <laughs> He's delightful. 10 out of 10. Next we have, uh, did you, I mean, this is, I, I, I'd be surprised if you'd seen this one. Yu-Gi-Oh! Capsule Monsters, a mini series of 12 episodes, <laughs> took place during the events of the fifth season. I have, but oh, okay. not recently. I watched it when it came out because it was mm. at Blockbuster and I wanted to watch it. And you needed more Yu-Gi-Oh! desperately. <laughs> yeah, this is another non-canon cash grab one, I believe. Okay. I'm pretty gotcha. sure this was also like done by four kids. That would make sense. It's, it's very weird. <laughs> it's weird and it doesn't look good. <laughs> From 2008 to 2011 ran Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, which introduced synchro monsters to the trading card game. And in this series, they would duel with each other while riding on motorcycle-like vehicles <laughs> called D-Wheels, uh, which were referred to as riding duels. 5Gs. I, um, people will be mad. This is the... This is the one I haven't seen. I watched okay. the first season. Uh, I've been watching be it very slowly. Yeah, because this is a, this is one of the most popular ones. So, what is your email for people to complain to you about? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't <laughs> find it. Fight me. <laughs> but yeah, this is probably one of the most popular series amongst fans because a lot of people will be like, "I hate all the other spinoffs. They're too kiddy." But Five Ds is. Edgier. Edgier. It's got motorcycles. Yeah, like there's odd themes of class warfare and (laughs) it's kind of this gritty future of motorcycle riding and police. So Akira. Yeah, it is kind of Yu-Gi-Oh! Akira and it's it's very, it's popular. I've heard it's wonderful. I've just been really bad about watching it. (laughs) It's from what I understand, our main protagonist who has even crazier hair than Yugi does. Um... (laughs) He uh, goes to Neo Domino City to take place in these card games on motorcycles. And uh, he was born on literally an island full of sewage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that that's the those are those class division themes coming in. <laughs> Next comes the movie Yu-Gi-Oh! Bonds Beyond Time. Actually, it puts all three series prota- protagonists together and formally links 5D's to the other series' worlds. I've seen it. I have okay. it on DVD. Sounds uh, cool. I, I like that <laughs> yeah. they made an effort to put all three together. I think that's a really neat Yeah, it's not actually a movie, technically. It's it's more like a it's TV like a special. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's like a 60-minute TV special. But yeah, that one's really fun just because it's it's very much fan service to me. I'm just like, ooh, all these characters I love are like together. <laughs> and it's it's also interesting for the timeline aspect of it is mm. part of the plot of 5Ds and um it also shows 
post GX, which is interesting, kind of because of how GX ends. So it's cool. I like it. Zexel is the second spinoff to the franchise, which ran from, actually, I think a third at this point, which ran from 2010 to 2015 and featured new main character Yuma, as well as AR duels, in which the players use a special lens to watch their monsters fight in alternate reality. (laughs) I have seen this one. Uh, I actually watched it in five days while my computer was broken one time. Five Ds. Oh, and... um, Uh, this one is actually a lot of people who are kind of like fans of 5Ds absolutely fucking hate <laughs> Zexel. And it's so sad because Zexel is interesting in its own right. I think it's fun. It skews more kitty because it has the youngest cast, I think, up to that point. And um, it's has the best animation, in my opinion, of like any of the Yu-Gi-Oh! series, but the ugliest overall art (laughs) design. I just hate it because saying the word Zexel makes my mouth feel gross. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Zexel 2, by the way, the sequel series from 2012 to 2014. More of the same. Arc V is the fourth spinoff series to Yu-Gi-Oh! and aired from 2014 to 2017, centering around Yuya, uh, a middle schooler at Paradise City's Yu-Show Dual School. It featured multiple dimensions that Yuya can travel through and introduce new card types, most notably the Pendulum Monsters. I have seen our five. Uh, <laughs> You're back it, it, it's, like 100 at this point, except for five Ds. Yeah, uh, it's actually Arc 5, I think, officially, but it doesn't okay. even matter. No one knows. <laughs> I was very obsessed with this one for a while because it was so weird. Um, it's basically Yu-Gi-Oh! Civil War. It's the, <laughs> Arc 5 is just, what if every previous Yu-Gi-Oh! series up until this point got into a fist fight behind a Denny's? Cool. And it's really weird. It does this dimension, like, jumping. It has legacy characters. Like, it brings back characters from old series. Hmm. It's it's wild, but hmm. it Yu-Gi-Oh! is always kind of fraught with production issues, and this is the point in time where that begins to be, like, more and more of a noticeable problem because it ends badly. <laughs> and I'm still upset about it, but it's it's fun. <laughs> my dearest Abigail, I write to you today with a heavy heart to tell you that my Celtic guardian was defeated by a level four gem knight sapphire. <laughs> Without even activating my hybrid pendulum spell switch that I had in my hand. I fear this war may be the worst of us. I do. I re- am looking forward to the Ken Burns documentary on Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> that will be coming out later this year. Uh, next comes the Yu-Gi-Oh! film The Dark Side of Dimensions, which takes place six months after the original Amazing. series. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Everybody watch it. Everybody watch this right now. It's more true to the original manga storyline and therefore diverges from the anime a bit. It's very good. Yes, I've seen it. I love it so much. This movie is a masterpiece, a haunting romance story, and an excellent character study of Kaiba. I think about it all the time. And yeah, it, it is technically like the true canon like the manga is the true canon and this is the sequel to the manga not the anime takahashi technically wrote it if i'm if i recall or like oversaw the story yeah Mm. like i know he did some of like the key animation as well for like a couple shots and it's awesome but yeah 10 out of 10 
Uh, it does take place after the ending of Yu-Gi-Oh! So I, I want everyone to watch it, but also if you want to not be spoiled oopsie doopsie <laughs> if you if you okay if you are on it if you don't want to spend the next month rewatching all of Yu-Gi-Oh this is just a shotgun blast of everything that yeah. makes it great hell yeah what i love the most about it is there were like seven different battles in this duels i'm sorry in this and you know every round is like just in defiance of anything you understand about the card game where just everyone's laying down like three different monsters pulling eight different spells laying down five different traps going back and forth and I, you know what I'm gonna spoil I'm gonna spoil just a tiny bit there's a point in the movie where Yugi um, is face to face with a Cthuloid cosmic level horror like legit Lovecraftian cosmic anomaly in possession of reality bending evil and Yugi's like hey sucker I challenge you to a card game and the fucking (laughs) omnipotent dark being is like okay (laughs) your rules are rules and I fucking screamed I screamed all right, I'm almost done here. Uh, yeah. Unbelievably <laughs> enough. The fifth spinoff series, which aired from 2017 to 2019, and it is called Vrains, or Five Rains, potentially. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, I don't know. No. Which, which, <laughs> which deals in virtual reality worlds where players battle each other and made alterations to the trading card game, adding the link system. Did you watch Vrains? Um, this one I have not watched in full as well. Uh, I watched the first season. <laughs> And part of the second season, it's um, okay. Just very coincidentally or not, it's it's a lot more in the vein of Five Ds. It's mm. older cast, more mature story, a lot more dry. There's none of the shenanigans. It's <laughs> it. not quite your thing. Yeah, I'm not quite starting my to un- thing. understand your yeah your taste a little bit here. Yeah. I did <laughs> and- I did see on YouTube that uh, one of the villains has the same voice actor as Dio from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, oh, and cool. his signature card is called like something the world. So if you really want to hear Dio from JoJo go Zawaldo again, like <laughs> it's a great series. Um, that's from GX. If Wait, I am that's, recalling oh, no! correctly, <laughs> damn, I've been sent to the goddamn shadow realm. You're in the shadow realm, dude. It's but the new doghouse. <laughs> oh, sweet! I brought pretzels. Uh, oh, also, I'm very disappointed that Vrains. Uh, is not, it turns out it's not a show about them playing card games on trains. <laughs> no, it stands for something. It's like virtual reality, reality artificial yeah. intelligent network system. That sounds like that's exactly what it stands for. <laughs> Seven's the sixth and most recent spinoff series premiered in actually just April of 2020, which centers around Yuga Odo, a fifth grade student who feels the current system of Yu-Gi-Oh! is too strict and introduces Rush Duel, a fast-paced, frantic dueling system. The series undid the previous link changes. Also, Rush Duel is a totally new, has a totally new set of cards designed for simpler, faster-paced duels. Were you aware of Sevens? I, it literally I'm came aware out of Sevens. Yeah, like the it's beginning on the of this month. Fourth episode now, I think. At the time of this and recording, we're, we are in April of 2020, and that yeah. it debuted April 4th, I believe. So yeah, like it's very new. I have not watched it. Uh, the thing about Sevens is at this point, Studio Gallup that has been mm-hmm. doing all of the series so far actually mm-hmm. left. So it's a new um, 
it's a new studio doing it. I forget which one, but it has like huge aesthetic changes from the rest of the Yu-Gi-Oh series. Like it doesn't look like a Yu-Gi-Oh series per se. It, it kind of looks more like card, like was it Buddy Fight or Card Fight Vanguard? It looks like mm. other ones now. So it's kind uh-huh. of weird. And for like a longtime fan, that kind of turned me off of it. But I'm sure it's fine. It'll, it'll happen. Maybe I'll check it out once more of it's out. The characters have significantly less eyeliner than before. Yeah, they also look super baby, <laughs> which means it's it's a baby series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So my last question for you before we wrap things up, because there are far too many video games to talk about here. Uh, essentially, just a game came out for every single console that was ever made since the time of Yu-Gi-Oh! being a thing. Is there any particular one that you would recommend either as a game to just play the card game through or just any kind of Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise game? Is there anything that pops out? I know for if you want to play Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, <laughs> phone app, Dual Links. Okay. Very much like to funnel people into playing Yu-Gi-Oh! It's like very user-friendly, like beginner-friendly. Uh, right. You don't really need to spend any money on it either. It's kind of nice. Nice. Uh, I know there's a game out on the Switch. I haven't really checked it out. But if we're going to talk about video games, I do want to mention offhand that my favorite one is the GX one for the DS. Played that so much. And there's one game that I've never played, but I'm so interested in called Duelist of the Roses, where it's basically Yu-Gi-Oh! historical fan fiction. And it's such an outlier in in the Yu-Gi-Oh! lineup that I I think about a lot. It's like, you are Henry Tudor, but you're Yu-Gi. What? (laughs) Look it up. It sounds fun. I've never That's played it. I amazing. couldn't tell you about it, but it's so interesting that it exists. <laughs> I'd heard about the mobile game before. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that sounds like a good good place to uh, try it out. It's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last thing. <laughs> uh, we have to mention it. I, uh, the Abridged series by Little Karibo was mm-hmm. one of the landmark anime abridged series. <laughs> it kind of It kind of popularized the entire format, made way for Team Four Star birthed a million little internet jokes if you like basically if you have to talk about that era of youtube and internet video you throw in the bad nostalgia critic references and you throw in little karibo Yu-Gi-Oh! abridged it's iconic for a very specific generation of very mm-hmm. online people and i yeah we can't you can't talk about it kind of kept the fandom it carried the fandom torch basically until now Hell basically yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. I had an Abridged Series t-shirt in high school. It said <laughs> what was super the special awesome. <laughs> I want a coffee cup that just says Joey's face going, yeah, on it. Yeah. But yeah, iconic. Little Karibo Martin. Cool guy. We're acquainted on Twitter. He's cool. I'd like to talk to him someday. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, was, I used to lurk in live journal communities in the eighth grade. And I remember when a bridge series got posted for the first time to one of those. <laughs> Monumental. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, all right. I think that's our episode on Yu-Gi-Oh! Karina, thank you so much for joining us. Before thank we you. do our plugs, I want to give you yeah, an opportunity yeah. to do so. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Follow me on Twitter, at Dilfasor. At Dilfasor. Yeah. Uh, you can find me twitch.tv forward slash Holdenatorsho. And uh, please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wizbrew. $5 a month, weekly bonus episodes every single week, and it really helps keep this podcast going. Also, 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 before I let Jake do his... 
I just want to mention the last podcast on the left live in New Orleans 2019 special is now available at www.lastpodcastlive.com for just $6.66. You can catch it. It's the boys' most recent show they did in 2019 at the Joy Theater in New Orleans, and it's amazing. They're back in the Habit Tour, their second big tour that they did. Again, $6.66. Just go to www.lastpodcastlive.com. Jake! And you can just follow me on Twitter, as usual, at BestJakeYoung, and hear my thought poops. Beautiful. (laughs) They're really good thought poops. Thank you. And always remember, never stop bruising. And always be whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.